Good evening and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Bible study in the book of Revelation. Tonight will be study number 11 of Revelation chapter 1. And we're presently reading in verse 4 where it says, John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come and from the seven spirits which are before his throne. In our last study, we were discussing the number seven, as seven is found throughout the Bible, that the number seven, the word seven, and especially in the book of Revelation, it is found therein 54 times. So as we're undertaking this study of the book of Revelation, we're going to find that we come across this number time and again. And so we want to make sure that we understand this number as well as we can by God's grace. If he give us understanding that we look to the Bible for its definition of this word, the word seven. What is the spiritual meaning? And we were looking at some verses. I want to go to one verse in particular that really helps us in learning about this word, the number seven, it says in Psalm 12, verse six, the words of Jehovah are pure words as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. That is, the word of God is pure or perfect. Purity and perfection have very much in common. It's hard to distinguish between the two. And the Bible is certainly perfect. It is pure. It is without error or fault or blemish of any kind in its original. No mistakes. No uh, wrong statements. Nothing that was said by God that has been proven false or wrong. The Bible, the Word of God, is perfect. And we were looking at the number seven and And we got into a discussion of the 7,000 years from the flood until the year 2011. And and I I do want to discuss that during this study. But let's back up a little bit to look at another verse that has the number 7 in view. And I want to go to the book of Numbers. Now, we've already seen 7 used in Psalm 12. We've seen it used in Leviticus 16 in the context of the Day of Atonement that the blood was sprinkled seven times upon the mercy seat, pointing to the work of Christ as he paid for the sins of his people. And what did Jesus do? When he made payment for their sins, he cleansed his elect people. He took their sins upon himself and he paid the penalty. The wages of sin is death. Christ made payment before the world began for his people or on behalf of them and thereby guaranteeing that their sins would be washed away once the redemptive work of the Lord Jesus was applied to them at some point in their lifetime. And this relates very much to purification. So again, the number seven, the the sprinkling of the blood, 
seven times points to the perfecting of the whole company of the elect, the cleansing of God's people, the purifying of them. And also we we looked at Naaman, the Syrian general, as Elisha the prophet had told him to dip himself seven times in the river Jordan. And after the seventh time, his leprosy was washed away and his skin became like that of a young child, a picture of salvation. And again, the washing, the cleansing, the purifying of sin from God's people. Well, let's go to Numbers chapter 12. And here we have the historical account of Miriam, Moses's sister, Aaron's sister. And when Miriam and Aaron attempted to um, really usurp Moses's authority and to take the position that God had assigned to Moses, well, God acted and struck Miriam with leprosy. And we read about that in verse 9 of Numbers 12, And the anger of Jehovah was kindled against them, and he departed. And the cloud departed from off the tabernacle, and behold, Miriam became leprous, white as snow. And Aaron looked upon Miriam, and behold, she was leprous. And Aaron said unto Moses, Alas, my Lord, I beseech thee, lay not the sin upon us, wherein we have done foolishly, and wherein we have sinned. So Miriam became a leper, and leprosy is a picture of sin. And here Miriam has been struck or plagued with leprosy. And Aaron, the high priest of Israel, is beginning to beseech on her behalf that the leprosy might depart from her. It says in verse 12, let her not be as one dead of whom the flesh is half consumed when he cometh out of his mother's womb. And Sin, of course, brings death. Man is spiritually dead. We're dead in sin if if God hasn't saved us. And the wages of sin is death. And we will die. A person will die forever being eternally destroyed unless God has had mercy upon them. And so Miriam is an example of someone who is in an unsaved condition because she is plagued with leprosy. And then in verse 13, And Moses cried unto Jehovah, saying, Heal her now, O God, I beseech thee. And Jehovah said unto Moses, If her father had but spit in her face, should she not be ashamed seven days? Let her be shut out from the camp seven days, and after that let her be received in again. And Miriam was shut out from the camp seven days, and the people journeyed not till Miriam was brought in again. And afterward the people removed from Hazareth and pitched in the wilderness of Paran. Well, God struck Miriam with leprosy, but he did not remove it from her for seven days. She was to be shut out of the camp. Well, it, it it's not too specific here. It is possible that uh, God removed the leprosy earlier than the seventh day, 
maybe he did it right away and, and she just had to remain outside of the camp in order to be pronounced clean at the end of seven days. It's not too specific, but the point is she was a leper and outside the camp of Israel until seven days had passed. And then as Aaron and Moses interceded on her behalf, she was permitted to come back into the camp, which indicated her leprosy was gone. Certainly, if she still was a leper, there's no way she would have been permitted back into the camp. So she was cleansed from her leprosy, and this happened after a period of seven days. Now, we're interested in this due to the number seven and a period of seven days. That's what we read in Genesis chapter 7, in verse 4. And I'll read it again. In Genesis 7, 4, For yet seven days, and I will cause it to rain upon the earth forty days and forty nights, and every living substance that I have made will I destroy from off the face of the earth. And then seven days later, what happened? God shut Noah and his family into the ark, and the flood waters began, and all outside of the ark with the breath of life perished. God brought a worldwide judgment after a literal seven-day period as he made the statement to Noah on the tenth day of the second month of Noah's calendar, and seven days later, on the seventeenth day of the second month, God brought it to pass. And as we've learned, after the Lord showed us how to make the connection from the discussion of the flood and the end of the world in Second Peter chapter 3, where in the midst of that discussion, God placed the verse indicating that one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. And in the Bible, of course, we have to follow God's lead. And he has taught us how he does things. The word of God, the scripture is full of spiritual meaning. We must follow the scriptural direction that God gives us. And he directed us back to the flood. And there we saw, oh, oh, seven days God is saying 7,000 years. Historically, yes, it was seven days to find safety in the ark or perish. Spiritually, it is 7,000 years to find safety in he who the ark represented, the Lord Jesus, or perish. And after that 7,000-year period, the door was shut, or, or literally, historically, after seven days, the door was shut. Spiritually, following 7,000 years on the date of May 21 in the year 2011, which had the underlying Hebrew calendar date of the 17th day of the second month, God shut the door to heaven. And he had already saved all of his elect just as he had rescued Noah and his family, and they were guaranteed safety and deliverance from the wrath of God that destroyed all with the breath of life with the flood. Well, by May 21, 2011, God saved all the elect whose names 
were written in the Lamb's Book of Life. They were all safe and secure in the kingdom of heaven, in the person of Christ. They were guaranteed not to perish as God then shut the door to heaven and no longer allowing or permitting anyone to enter in because now it is a time of judgment, of wrath. No one was saved after the 17th day of the second month from the flood, although people could have lived, men, women, and children, for maybe some days or even a couple of weeks after. We don't know. Certainly for some length of time after that door was shut, people did survive as they would seek higher and higher ground until finally they perished. There was no mercy of God to reach out to them to sail the ark to where they were so they might get aboard. There was no reopening of the door of the ark. There was no more calls from Noah, the preacher of righteousness, to get on board. There was no more uh, physical action of building the ark. It was already constructed. And, and so the witnessing that took place over the long 120 years leading up to that date was complete. It was finished. Now it was a matter of bringing the judgment to pass, and God did that. And likewise, now that God has shut the door of heaven, there will be no more opening of the door, even though the Bible does tell us. And isn't it interesting that God tells us this concerning Judgment Day? Why do you think he would put this language in the Bible? What is the point of it? Except we know very well now what the point is, because we've seen this taught in the Scripture, and, and then what we see outside amongst people debating these things, um, it, it's as though we're seeing it, the Word of God come to pass right before our eyes. It says in Matthew 7, in verse 21, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then why profess unto them, I never knew you? Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. God is saying many are going to dispute with him in that day. Well, let's see a little further in Matthew 25. They're disputing with God that they are not God's elect. And then it says in Matthew 25:10, And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And they that were ready went in with him to the marriage. That's also a word that can be translated as wedding. And the door was shut, just as we read concerning the historical door of the ark was shut after the seven days. And just as we have learned that the door to heaven was shut after 7,000 years. So here it is, the bridegroom came in judgment, and God can come in judgment, and that doesn't mean you have to see him. He began the judgment process on the churches, so he came as the judge for the churches back in 1988, and no one ever saw that. No one could see Christ come as judge, and, and likewise, on May 21, 2011, 
He came as judge for the world to begin the day of salvation, and no one needed to see him. But anyway, let me continue reading. And they that were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. That's just what we read, uh, crying, Lord, Lord, back in Matthew 7. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Watch therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. So there, in the context of Judgment Day, God speaks of a shut door, and then people coming after the door is shut, and crying out, Lord, Lord, that is, well, now now uh, we want to get in. We want to come in. And God tells us further in the Gospel of Luke, in chapter 13, some more information about the day of judgment. It says in verse 24 of Luke 13, Strive to enter in at the straight gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. God says strive, put forth effort to enter in at the straight gate. That's the narrow gate. And a gate is a door. And remember, wide is is the way that leads to destruction, but narrow is the way that leads to life. It's a straight gate. Few are chosen, but many are called. The elect go through the narrow way of the true gospel of the Bible because God brings us through. No one else can make it. And so here God is giving direction. Strive to enter in that way. Why? Well, he goes on to explain, For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able when once the master of the house is risen up and has shut to the door. Now, now this, this verse is telling us something highly unusual. It's telling us that after the master of the house, that is God himself, has risen, and has shut the door, then many are going to seek to enter in. That's that's very unusual. And they're not seeking to go the broad way. They're seeking to go the straight gate way. They, they want to go the way that God had always established in his word. You know, it, it reminds us of... God telling the Israelites to go into the land of Canaan and take the land as soon as they came out of Egypt, or not long after. And then after the spies searched the land and came back with an evil report, oh, we're, we're not able. We, we can't do this. There's giants in the land and they, uh, all of the dangers were, were presented to the Israelite people. And they were all frightened, and they refused to go and take the land. And then God judged them. He shut that door. And while that door was open, they didn't want to go that way. And that's the nature of man. They, they always have to do things contrary to God. They always have to dispute with him. They always have to argue with him. His way is never 
pleasing to men. It's never seemingly satisfactory to them. And just as it was God's plan to save a great multitude during the time of the Great Tribulation, the door to heaven was flung wide open. Come one, come all, seek the Lord, cry out to him while he may be found. God had this message broadcast all over the earth. And did men seek him? Did they come the narrow way, crying to him, begging for mercy? Well, only those that he moved within to to do so did that. Only they responded in a proper way. The people of the world didn't. Those in the churches dismissed it. Those in the world laughed at it and mocked. It was foolishness and and so on. They had no interest. All right, well, finally the time came. And, and by the way, there were some that criticized God's people for saying he would save a great multitude. You see, you can't please man. No matter what you say, what truth of the Bible, there's going to be critics. And we were criticized for indicating God was saving tens upon tens upon tens of millions of people around the world. And then God shut the door to heaven after he accomplished his plan and saved that great multitude. And this verse in Luke is telling us that now people are beginning to get the idea and now they want to go into the kingdom of God. Oh, yes, we'll cry for mercy or the idea is they're more willing to do it God's way on his terms. So many, we can expect, will attempt to enter in, and yet they'll not be able. Because, well, what God has shut, the Bible says, no man can open. You know, people... Um, respond to the child of God, to the true believer, when they hear these things and they act as if we shut the door. They're angry. They're upset. And, and they're disputing about it. And yet their dispute is not with us. It's not with the believer. We don't have any power. We don't have any authority to open a door. We We can't fling it far and wide open and and say now God's saving a great multitude only God could do that according to his timing during a certain short little season of great tribulation and likewise we we don't have any power or ability to close that door to heaven of course not we're only doorkeepers the bible says that that we keep the door and a doorkeeper is a, a lowly servant if the master of the house says, open up that door and beckon all to come in or to come to me that they might enter in, then the lowly doorkeeper holds the door open and we tell people, the door is open. Won't you seek the Lord that you may enter his kingdom? And when the master of the house arises and and shuts the door and now he gives command to his servants, the doorkeepers, and he says, this door is shut. The, the door to my kingdom is now closed. And, and I made a point 
of telling all the world this in the days leading up to May 21, May 21, Judgment Day, the day the door to heaven shuts forever. Now you are my servant, you are my doorkeeper, you are to inform people just as you were to inform them that the door was open. If if anyone asks, or if you need to share truth, this is what you share. Heaven's door is now shut. And I'm sorry if 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 it were my salvation plan, well I I might do things differently, but it's not mine. It, it's never been mine. The the child of God is not the determiner. We're not the one who who is to say when the church age is underway. And we're not the one who is to say when the church age is over. We're not the one who decides that it's the day of salvation. And certainly, we're not the one that determines when that day of work in the day of salvation has come to an end. And the night cometh when no man can work. That's not for us to decide when the sun is to shine brilliantly in the heavens all over the earth. And when the sun is to be darkened. It's not for us uh, to allow people to enter in. We we cannot. The churches try to take over that role, the role that is only God's. And they try to be the determiners of who is saved and who is not saved. They develop gospels where they're the ones, uh, supposedly, that allow people to enter heaven. If people just follow what they say, and accept Christ, or walk down an aisle, or be baptized with water, or do this, or do that, perform some work, and they'll get you into heaven. Certainly, churches and men think that they have that power, but the fact is, the truth of the Word of God is, no man has that power, only God does. And he says here, that many will seek to enter in, and shall not be able when once the master of the house is risen up, and hath shut to the door, and ye begin to stand without, and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open unto us. And he shall answer and say unto you, I know you not whence ye are. Now, how is God going to verbally uh, break the supernatural barrier and and speak to people who are knocking at the door to heaven? Well, first of all, how can anyone knock at that door? It's a spiritual door. It's not a literal door. It's an invisible door. No one could ever see it when it was open, and no one can see it now that it's closed. And and that tells us, since they're knocking on a door that man cannot see, that this is figurative, spiritual language, and and this is telling us people are knocking at the door when they're trying to indicate from the word of God that salvation is continuing, that God is still saving, and they can encourage one another, and they can encourage others. Yes, go to God, and and he'll grant you entry into heaven. He's merciful, he's gracious, and yet, the response is, well, we've come to the end of our time today. We'll have to look at this when we get together in our next study.